0: All right, well, welcome back. Well, that's right, it was me that was gone. <laughs> I appreciate uh, Brother Hunter covering for last week as we were off uh, blessing grandkids in uh, Virginia. And uh, But I missed the class. I was really aware on Monday morning we were getting ready to leave. I was like, wait a minute, this is, I should be there. I miss you guys a lot. So um, One other thing I, I should mention... Uh, uh, we were able to did I tell you how much we ended up donating uh, to uh, the first time Temple patron Funds is a, about $2,700 you guys are awesome uh, and then also the, uh, the toys that you delivered last time uh, we collected about uh, over 500 toys uh, total in our ward this class accounted for somewhere about a third of the, of the entire total. So it, it just made a huge difference. Yeah. And also
1: a comment. On the individuals that came to pick up hot shots. Uh-huh. It was all brass. They didn't have
0: just their hearts. They brought their train of a moving company. Yeah. This guy, again, I just brag on you guys all the time. I, I even mean, told him in uh, PEC me. I said, like, wait till you see what my class does.
2: <laughs> so...
0: All right, Uh, that said, um, any uh, faith-promoting rumors or uh, great quotes or things that you heard in church in the last uh, couple of weeks? Yeah? I was a
2: few minutes late last week. I don't know if this was discussed, but about a week ago, Brother Matthew Groh was here, for any of those that know him talking about the Joseph Smith papers. Yes. Yeah, it was. Uh, got to do it, Kayla, downtown with him. I think he did a fireside last
0: night. Oh, I didn't know that he was doing a fireside last night. That's no. to you, the cell, to that was for
2: himself over near that way. I went downtown to Eddie Dean's ranch and yeah, he did. He did that. Really We're
0: amazing. pretty fortunate, actually, to uh, some of the the people that we've got in the area, like BYU management, and we managed to bring some of the kind of the bigger speakers through here. One kind of speeches. One say too.
2: is a man in our board, our brother Eccles. Or, yeah, uh, yeah, Steve is So there's BYU professors. i uh, watch them the TV showing up in our
0: world. The and there they are in the flesh. Okay yeah. great? Uh, yeah. I need verbiage.
1: My neighbor read an article in Time magazine, and she is asking me about the White Force prophecy. I need to go that time.
0: Joseph Smith had a sense of humor. And he had a, he had a white horse. And, and somebody asked him where he got the horse and he said that it had, he'd gotten it out of the sky. And, then it, the, and it, the, the bottom line is, it was a joke. If anybody's asking, I wouldn't go into a lot of detail. It's a joke.
2: But the word wisdom is not. No, no,
0: no. That's true. <laughs> It, it is. I'll tell you. It is interesting. On uh, on Saturday morning, I was uh, uh, I was fortunate to speak to a uh, a regional uh, mid singles conference down in Austin, and we were in a um, we're in a big park, and so so I was kind of on a stage area, and, and we had all of these wonderful singles spread out across this hillside, uh, and I was kind of wirelessly mic. So if you were anywhere in the area of the park. You were going to hear me spouting off, and I was talking a lot about uh, uh, that the Savior knows your name and knows who you are and the things that you're going through specifically. And uh, I noticed that there was one of the one of the singles had kind of dressed up more like he was like on a big bicycle ride, and he had kind of a funky bicycle out, outfit and and the way he was dressed and everything. And I thought, well, you're not going to track very many. Uh, Ladies that way, it's kind of goofy looking. Um, And as soon as I, when I got finished speaking, uh, he made a beeline for me right after my talk. And he said, he says, listen, I was just down here bicycling and I heard you guys and I just came over to listen. This is marvelous. This is, I can't believe what I'm hearing. You guys are great, you know. And behind me, everybody's putting on Mormon Mormon helping hands things because they're getting ready to clean out the park and reseed another area over here and they're making little seed balls that they're going to throw out there and everything and he just says we need more of you guys and he says in fact my family years and years ago heard this thing like they were in upstate New York about I think the founder of your religion and everything. I'm going right home and calling my mom and find out what the deal was. We're just so glad you guys are here. (laughs) You know Uh, well that's awesome you know sometimes I don't think we realize the impact we have uh, but it's nice when we get those moments for people to hear things like that. So Great. Now, anything else happened the last two weeks? I think. Yeah?
1: Um, <clears throat> on the Mark Davis show, yeah. um, Krista Bright was on there on Friday talking to him about basic beliefs
3: of our church and has been invited back to talk to him. Um, and just because he said, Mark Davis said, well, is looking more and more like you might actually have president maybe we should find out exactly
1: what these people believe probably
0: wouldn't hurt <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and anybody who has
0: listened to that man in the past knows that he has a, he' has had a very strong
3: anti-mormon bias well he's been very
0: much that Mormons aren't Christian and just live with it they're good people but they're not Christian <clears throat>
1: but
0: it's gonna be a fun period of time
1: yeah know that major Christian we're not Well, Billy
0: Graham, yeah, took the cult reference off of his uh, website after meeting with Mitt and uh, and is taking some heat. And several of um, the
3: schools in this area, Trinity Christian, uh, Christian Academy, and I believe Prestonwood, have taken us
1: off their list of... Um, yeah, will
0: want not Really? Okay, so she just said a couple of the Christian, big Christian schools... Have, taking us off the uh, watch list of people that they wouldn't, uh, you can't enroll your students, because we don't want cult-like people in the
1: In, 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 case you, in case you haven't heard that, the, it's
0: a wonderful irony of the fact that 7-Eleven is running kind of their own little campaign, and you can get uh, Barack Obama coffee cups or Mitt Romney coffee cups, and i are keeping track of how many, you know, who's winning, who's, who, who's drinking the most Mitt Romney coffee. Oh, man. No. Isn't that great? All right, Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. we were, yeah, we were. Yeah, 4, a week. yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard that, but we talked about the fact that there, there was a tsunami coming of, of new missionaries, young missionaries, and, and it's definitely happening. They, they were averaging, the church just uh, announced they've been averaging about 400, about 700 a week, starting new applications. Now they're averaging over 4,000. Uh, new applications starting a week, and half of those are women. Over half.
1: And then transfers—not this coming transfer, but next transfer that are already coming in.
0: Oh, so some, of the, some of the new transfers in are, are already part of this new wave. Right. You feel it? Can you feel it quickening? <laughs> this is a this is a culture-changing moment. Doesn't seem like changing the missionary age by a couple of ages, a couple of years, would make that much difference. No, it's having a major effect.
1: Uh, my parents were in kind of State Conference a couple weeks ago and the visiting authorities came in and I can't remember who they said it was. But they're anticipating a bubble of about 90,000
0: missionaries in the field. Expecting 90,000?
1: 90, 90,000, just a bubble over this next four. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because we've averaged somewhere between about fifty to seventy, depending on the demographics of that. But if we jump, if we jump up that dramatically, that that's amazing. And I do think the amount of sisters coming in is going to have. Uh, we're going to we're going to watch our convert baptisms per year suddenly take a big leap. Instead of the missionary. Oh, so now they're ramping up, and they're decreasing the time in the MTC because we got to run these guys through here. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. I was going to say our
1: president just went into the mission field, and he said when they left, he left last week out the MTC, and they told them that to get to care out because they, they would be the missionaries that would be training the new that were coming. Let's go. My son. Conference um, um, that was multi broadcast throughout the whole state, and Elder Ballard said to the um, singles who really need some hope in the future that we are
0: on the brink of a time of economic prosperity. <laughs> Elder Ballard said, Runner took it really. <laughs> things are going to get better. In California. Okay, in the fun. The a announcement at 10,
1: really? The Mormon Tabernacle
0: Choir has got a big announcement tomorrow at 10. Do we know what it <laughs> we They're going to the inauguration. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I'm sorry. Okay, which which they might be. Okay, Um, online I happen to find these these pictures, and you're gonna you're gonna think that these are actually pictures taken in a spook alley, but it was actually pictures taken uh, uh, in reaction to things in the church. First, this. Well, uh, actually, I'm Mormon. Okay. We will now hear from our High Counselor speaker.
1: <laughs> oh no!
0: <laughs> and fi- your mom's the new seminary teacher. <laughs> See, you think these are from a spook alley, don't you? But they're really not. It's really a church. Okay. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. I just thought it was good. Close to Halloween, so. Okay. That said... Um, I want to I uh, backtrack just a little bit on some of the things that uh, uh, Brother Hunter said some additional things on top of that I don't want to take very long um, but along with that then I wanted to a couple of pictures we took last weekend uh, I did not realize how big the Iwo Jima thing you can see Cindy walking around the, the backside in the red shirt that's massive Uh, But you've got this memorial, and it's got all the names of all the places uh, that Marines lost their life. This is the Marine uh, Memorial. It's about a 15-minute walk through the park from Arlington National Cemetery, for those who haven't been there. From the World War II uh, uh, Memorial, uh, each one of those stars represent 100 deaths in World War II. It's right on the mall, right between the Washington Monument and the Lincoln. Okay. There's Vietnam Memorial. Uh, There was a group uh, that flies in, World War II veterans, uh, to be able to come in and see this. And these these gentlemen were from Illinois. Uh, And you can see a little wheelchair off to the side. They're all in wheelchairs. My
1: father and law Ah. And he said it was the most wonderful experience in his whole life.
0: Yeah. What's for us. Did we had a chance to talk to some of these guys. We were just like, there's like you got these living veterans there, and, and we're in that setting and everything, and you're just looking at all of those names, and you're just kind of in awe. Okay. Arlington National Cemetery. Now, let me ask you, why do we, as a country, why do we spend so much time and energy and focus on these memorials? Something
3: we'll
0: never forget. Yeah, never forget. The, the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, as I was walking through this, uh, and we were walking up to the Tomb of the Unknowns uh, and, and, and looking out on that, um, I was just so impressed that outside of the Civil War, uh, the, all these guys died on foreign soil. Every every time. Before, and then and then once once we liberate, then we leave. We didn't we didn't turn them into the next state. You know, we then we come home and we bring our dead with us. In some cases, like Normandy, they're there, but in some cases our international cemetery. In other countries, we just don't need to apologize to anybody, do we? Uh, but but here's these memorials and, and it's to help us remember the sacrifices that have been that have been uh, made now against that backdrop uh, i want you to I want you to turn over to section 88 if if you could Because I don't know if you've necessarily looked at it this way. Uh, Verily thus saith the Lord unto you have assembled yourselves. You remember uh, last time I know that Marlo was talking about the fact that this was not a great time for Joseph. A lot was going bad. Things going you know, on both sides, in both Kirtland and in Missouri, everything's going bad. now he gets the olive leaf. The olive leaf, like the olive leaf given to uh, Noah, who's... Out on, the, uh, out on the water. And here comes this all of It's a message of hope. Um, verse 2. Behold, this is pleasing unto your Lord. And the angels rejoice over you. The alms of your prayers have come up into the Lord, into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Sabaoth is uh, the, the, the Lord of uh, armies. Of strength. Okay, and, and I'd only talked a little bit about this interesting phrase. The alms of your prayers. Okay. Let me add an additional thing over what uh, Brother Hunter talked about last time. Um, the alms of your prayers. In, in the Temple of Solomon, what would happen is that you would have these burnt sacrifices and you were going to burn the whole animal. And then they would take some of the coals of these burnt animals and they would then take walk them into the holy place because that was outside in the court, they would take these coals into the holy place of the temple. They would place them on the altar of incense, mixed with salt and some and some uh, incense, sweet odors. They would put them on the altar of incense, and and the, the smell would then rise up to God. And, and it was symbolic of the prayers ascending from the altar of incense into the that the Lord could would hear that, would smell that. Okay? the prayers are being heard but notice that it's prayers that are going up but it's based first of all where do they get the coals sacrifice okay now so when we talk about that the the alms of your prayers are actually sacrifices have you have you sacrificed in your life have you made sacrifices What are, if if you think about it in terms of the alms, the sacrifices of your prayers ascending up into heaven, what is the Lord recording in the book of life? What is it? He's recording our sacrifices, right? Doesn't that... Why would the Lord remember your sacrifices? Why would the angels record your sacrifices? See, there are so many times that the things that you do go unnoticed, and I get that. And and we kind of take some pride sometimes in being able to silently, especially, brethren, you, you know the Relief Society sisters are just kind of so good at kind of very quietly and sweetly running a meal over to somebody or taking care of something. And they do it without a lot of fanfare. they are going to go watch somebody's kids for a little while. Nobody else knows. Except for who? The angels in heaven are writing it down. And it's like the Lord hears you. The Lord knows that you've done those things. And they are a memorial to you. They're a memorial to your goodness. And to your sweetness and your willingness to sacrifice. Now, and those are the alms of your prayers. That when you pray and the angels are aware of your sacrifices. Does it give a little extra oomph to your prayers? Not because the Lord is going to necessarily hear you more than somebody else. But... Does it make a difference in your prayers when you have been quietly sacrificing and and, and expressing charity for other people? Do your prayers have a little bit more well, I think when you sacrifice for someone, there's a change of heart that takes yeah. place, so you're softer, and so when you're praying, you're probably better able to hear the Lord. Why is it, moms, when anybody else's kid cries in church, you're like, oh, no. But when it's your kid that's crying... It's like you sacrificed for that kid. You love that kid, and it, it, it's a different approach. And our hearts are softened. And does that change how we pray? Oh yeah. Does, does that make sense? Psalms of our prayers, things. Okay.
1: Um, you said a minute ago, Samuel was what?
0: It's it's the it's the Lord of armies. You, you think of uh, it's like the Lord of hosts. But, but just like the host, not just host of quiet little angels, but it's like the, the host of the, the armies of Israel. In other words, this God who commands all of these armies who can do what needs to do is the one that is watching you, is hearing the things that you've done. It's such a, mm-hmm. such a nice, powerful... It's like, all, you know, when we talk about uh, in, in section 88, we're not going to take time to go through all the light the light and this the light and that. Uh, Cindy, who was it that we were reading that talked about, that uh, you were telling me about with the, the light and the sun?
1: Oh, it was uh, Harold B. Lee.
0: Harold B. Lee, who said? He said, the sun can ripen a small bunch of grapes as if it has nothing else to do. <laughs> now, the, in other words, this sun that can... That can uh, help everything grow that reaches out to the immensity of space has all this power and strength behind it can also ripen uh, a bunch of grapes as if it had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. And this same sun that does all of those amazing things if that's filled with the light can reach in and give, you, give in you comfort on a hard day when your kids are driving you nuts. Mm-hmm. Or when your calling is making you crazy. Yeah. Who said that? Harold B. Lee. Okay. Along that line, let me give you uh, uh, some of you may have heard the story of uh, Ellen Nabor. Uh, Ellen Nabor, uh, in the early days of the church, joined joined the church in England, a uh, very poor lady, uh, made her way out in one of the fir- first few wagon trains coming out to Salt Lake. Uh, but she was poor enough; she only had one pair of shoes, and very early those gave out. And so, the vast majority of the trip, she did barefoot, across Wyoming, across Nebraska, and particularly the the part that would have been hard for her was the fact that there was a tradition among the saints that if made, when you got to the top of Immigration Canyon they would stop and they would put on their Sunday finest because they're about to walk in desire Zion. And so they'd walk in in their Sunday clothes, Sunday best, and they would save things just to wear to walk in to Zion. She had to walk in barefoot. And it was very embarrassing for her. But once she got into, into the valley and got settled and everything, she was finally able to get some shoes and and everything, but she never forgot that experience and how embarrassing that was. And part of what she did then is that she began to dream about having a pair of high-top, patent leather shoes from back east. And she started to save for these. And this is actual kind of a pair from that period of time. It was probably pretty close to what she was saving for. So she started putting little pennies away. and, And it took her eight years Eight years to save for a pair of shoes. That she could then order through a catalog from back east. After eight years, she has enough. She sends it off. Here come these beautiful high-top patent leather shoes. and, and, uh, And she saves them. For a couple of days later, it's time for general conference. And so she's able to put them on there and kind of proudly be able to go to general conference in a brand new pair of beautiful shoes. In that conference, October 1856. Brigham Young says, stands up and says, "Here is here is our course of this instruction for this conference. There are two groups of handcarts on the plains. Martin and Willie handcart companies. We our, our instruction will be go get the carts. We need food. We need wagons. We need blankets. We need shoes. So she went to the back of the tabernacle and immediately took off her shoes, turned them in, and went barefoot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, about a month later, as they're kind of finally coming in, those wagons were dragging in, and they're just in horrible position. It was another tradition to greet these incoming groups as they were coming in to try and see if there wasn't anything that you could do. And she went, she specifically went out to this and instead of looking at faces, she was looking at feet. She wanted to know who had been the recipient of her shoes. She was glad to give them, but she just wanted to meet the person that was going to get her shoes. And And so she's looking around and she finally sees her shoes On a sister, and she looks up, and she's looking up into the face of a friend for me, who had who had not been a member of the church when she had left England eight years later, but had since joined the church and come out. And when they realized that she had been the recipient of her shoes, you can imagine. And I and I think that that was the Lord's way of saying to Ellen. I hear your sacrifice. It's recorded and I think you're going to get this little tender mercy to say, I heard you. And it's accepted. Bless your heart. That this woman who had gone through the William Martin handcart experience now had a pair of beautiful shoes to keep her feet warm. And it would have come from her friend many years ago. Lord kind of knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Now, one other thing that I wanted to mention uh, in the in the, the section previous, along with that, and I think it goes hand in hand. There is a secret to receiving answers to prayers in section eighty-eight. I think it is the key because when we struggle, and you just kind of got one of those keys that it's like the Lord knows your sacrifices. And he is aware of those. And even if nobody else does, he hears them, he sees them. But isn't it, we get this beautiful little indication in section 88. If you want to turn over to uh, verses 62 to 64. Because one of the things that we run into quite a bit is people that don't believe that they've necessarily had their prayers answered. I'm praying and I can't get through, or I'm praying and it's not being heard. And here's what he says. Verily I say unto you, my friends, I leave these sayings with you to ponder in your hearts, and this commandment I give unto you. And here it comes. Here's the key. That ye shall call upon me when? When I am. Think about those times that you're sitting in sacrament meeting or you're sitting at general conference or you're reading the scriptures and you feel the peace and the warmth that's there and, and you might walk out of that meeting and go, wow, the Spirit was really strong. If you're feeling the Spirit and you have a question in your mind about something that you need to do, when should you ask? Right there. Now. Now is the moment. You feel the Spirit ask. He says, call on me when I am near. And if you do that, He says, draw near unto me. And what? I will draw near unto you. Yeah. Seek me diligently. You'll find. Ask ye shall receive. Knock it shall be open. Whatsoever ye ask the Father in my name, it shall be given. That is expedient, but when do we do that? When he's near. I just think it's a beautiful key. What well, if you're on your knees and you're praying and you just feel his warmth and then you go, now. Now ask. He's near. <coughs> ask the question. And then, listen. Isn't that awesome? Now, there's a reason why it is that he's going to preface these kind of things at the beginning of Section 88. Because Section 88 was, was given at a particular time with a particular goal in mind for these brethren. They had just been out serving missions, they were coming back um, Now to set up, set up the, the purpose of this section, and this is going to have some real import, I think, for us. I want you to look back for a second at section 84, verse 23. Now, Moses plainly taught the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. Now, my question is, why? Why would he be so anxious that they see the face of God? Remember, he was trying to get them to do it in the first place. And, and remember, he comes down off of the mount, and they're like, whoa, we can't handle that much light. We're a veil. And then he says, well, you know what? You can see what I've seen Come with me, come up the mountain. And they said, No, you do it, you tell us what he says. We're not, no. And by the way, I would even extend that to you as a group without raising hands. How many of you, if I said to you, um, I've just received word that outside of this back door here, the Savior is actually standing? those of you who want to meet the Savior can do so in about ten minutes how many of you would go there and how many of you would go there how
2: much are you glowing when you say that yeah that's right you kind of look at yourself and like okay am I ready to stand
0: in front of him or do I believe I'm not perfect enough to stand in front of him or do I recognize I'm not perfect and He loves me anyway? But I want you to feel for just a second, what was your first reaction? Would you go there or would you go there? Or would, how many of you would break the door down right now to go get there, whatever it would take to get there? Absolutely. In some sense about how you hold yourself and feel you at the moment. But why is it that he would be so anxious that they behold the face of God?
2: One reason might be that uh, people would be easier to govern and easier to be more easily entreated to follow when he's If they understood what it
0: is that would okay, make administration easier. Well, he we had just experienced that. When you yes. it
1: wonderful. You want to share
0: it. Isn't it like a Lehi type of moment? You know, the fruit is great. Man. Where's the family? You ever walked out of a movie and you went, oh, I, people got to see this. I, I was thinking about that on Saturday. We, we made our way to the to the uh, nirvana for me, which is Salt Lake barbecue. And I was just in the middle of <laughs> eating a rib. And I went, oh, I got to get my family. <laughs> oh my gosh, this great. <laughs> when we come across something, it's not our first indicator? We want people to enjoy what we're enjoying. And he was still. And if you were in the presence of God like Moses was, what would you be feeling? Oh man, great joy! And what do you want? You want to share? He diligently sought to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. He wanted this for them, but he was going to have to sanctify them first. They were going to have to be ready. Okay. So here comes, here comes verse sixty eight of section eighty eight. Wherefore sanctify yourselves that your minds become single to God. And the days will come that ye shall see Him, for He will unveil His face unto you, and it shall be, when? In His own time, and in His own way, according to His own will. Well, that's nice. I mean, that's, we get that, but... Remember the great and last promise which I made unto you, cast away your idle thoughts and excess of laughter... Tarry ye in this place, and this place is Kirtland, and call a solemn assembly. Now, let's say that let's say that you came, let's say that you came to state conference, and you heard your state state president say state president say this. <coughs> It's our job in our state to build a small temple in our our state boundaries. It's going to take us about two and a half, three years to build this, because we're going to do it with our own labor. It'll take us about three years. When we build the temple, we're going to have a solemn assembly. And my promise to you is that every one of you who are ready will see the face of the Savior at that meeting. Now, how would that affect your next three years? How would you be impacted by it? No, it's a solemn promise. You will be able... Some will see the Savior, some won't. But if you are ready and you're in a place and so you've got a couple of years to get yourself ready, you I promise you that you will see the Savior at that meeting. How would that impact? How, how, would, how would that impact the church, do you think?
1: You would think they would unite
0: probably be some uniting? Yeah? What else?
3: Uh,
0: I think the repenting would start. Yeah. Because sometimes we keep going, the second coming is where? <laughs> and out there somewhere. Yeah, he's coming in the clouds. I might be here. I might not be, you know. One day I'll see him uh, when I die. And that's, hopefully that's a few years away. But what if it was set? As soon as we get the building done, there will be a meeting that we'll dedicate... The Meeting with a solemn assembly, and those of you who are ready get to see him in that meeting. There'll probably be some
1: that would just say, Oh, well, that gives me three more years. <laughs> I
3: do what I want to do, and maybe in
1: like two and a
0: half years, i my to Especially if you're like 15, 16. <laughs> It's like wait and do my last assignment just before. What am I going to have to do? Exactly what it is. Okay, I'll wait and then I'll just start planning out. Exactly, yeah. What's interesting is you were saying that. I was thinking
1: if, if you prepared yourself and saw the Savior, then you could say, well, that would be the end point. But in fact, for them, it was the beginning. Yeah. So seeing the Savior, in, in essence, enabled them to endure what was to come. And so, um, we prepare ourselves to... Well, I was reading Elder Holland's talk or or on on the... And he talked about going and calling Peter and the other disciples after he, he had died. And he said, they thought... They thought it was over, didn't they? Yeah. And he said, no, it's just beginning. And I... I
0: keep on thinking that solemn
1: assembly for the saints was just the beginning. Beautiful point. Yeah. I don't want
0: this to be off the topic, but I'm noticing the wording here and at the other we It said, Moses sanctified them. Yes. And here it says sanctify yourselves. Yep. And I thought that only Christ sanctified. Hang on to that. We're going there. Because this is going to, because the question is going to be, how do we do this? But but let me come back to this for just a second because I think that that's a, a great point. Now, what if I said to you, in uh, state president is going to say we're going to build this temple. There's going to be a solemn assembly. You're going to have to. You're going to get a chance to see the Savior, and then all hell's going to break loose. <laughs> And preparing your and ha- allowing and seeing the Savior being filled with his joy and his power and his strength will be the very thing that will help you get through what's coming over oh, yeah. there. Would that make a difference? Yes. And if you don't, you'll have to face that stuff anyway, but without his strength. Would that make a difference. I don't think they understood that part. They just. There was such a sense among the saints at that point. This is the second coming. We're about to build the temple in New Jerusalem. We're going to see His face. That was, put, but there were a lot of there were a lot of church groups at that time that were uh, millennialists, and they believed that the second coming was was imminent. Uh, the the Shakers believed that. Uh, with Ann, what's your name? Anyway, there were a number of people that believed that, and so sometimes. The, the message of the church fit into what they believed already, that it was close. Um, but specifically they were being told, there's a time coming and now the question is going to be, and this is what section 88 is about. How do we get these people ready for this event? Specifically, Joseph was tasked with I've got these people. They're sniping at each other. They're having all kinds of problems. And you're about to build a temple. And angels are going to attend with great power. And some are going to be ready to see it. And some are not. That's why the school of the prophets was cranked up. Everything to try and get a people in a matter of about three years. Because this is now 1883. 1833. They will dedicate the temple in 36. Okay, so that's what I say. We've got about three years. And how do I get them ready to be standing in his presence? (coughs) For a number of them, they did. They got to see the Savior at the solemn assembly. Okay, so. Here was Joseph Smith's reaction to this. From From the history of the church. We must have all things prepared and call our solemn assembly as the Lord has commanded. By the way, why do you think they call it a solemn assembly? What is a solemn assembly? Like, no smiling in this <laughs> <laughs> No jokes allowed. Isn't
1: it the, the um, dedication of the temple? Yep. Or
0: profit? It is. That's generally when we do these solemn assemblies. Absolutely.
3: You probably mean a sacred assembly.
0: A sacred assembly would be a good way to say that. I remember when, uh, years ago, when President Hinckley was uh, sustained as president of the church, and my son and I, uh, McKay, were desperately trying to get into the tabernacle then uh, to get into the solemn assembly to see that. And we had we'd gotten there late, and so we were in line. We actually got into the afternoon session, but we didn't get into the solemn assembly. And so we were sitting in line on the on the ground, on the temple ground, still taking part in the solemn assembly. And in that solemn assembly, we're now going to uh, sustain the new president of the church by quorums, you know, all, all priesthood. And we're sitting there on the concrete and, and now, you know, priesthood quorums, all brethren. And so it was like, we stand up in line and raise our arms. we sustain him and everything. And it was interesting to be, part of that solemn assembly, but not in the building, but still part. Okay, some of you have participated in the solemn assemblies at dedication of temples, even by remote. Isn't it cool? You can sit in buildings here. How many sat in on a solemn assembly for Nabu? and Palmyra? Isn't that awesome? You weren't even there. But you were sitting here. Um, we- Wow. In, no, it was in New Orleans. In New Orleans. Yeah. Wow. And what, and what in San Antonio? See, these are meetings, they're especially sacred, and they ask you to come prepared. And that's part of what, what this process is. So, he, so Joseph Smith is saying, we're going to call a solemn assembly as the Lord has commanded us, that we may be able to accomplish His great work, and it must be done in God's own way. What is His way? Think about the work that was still ahead of us. The house of the Lord must be prepared and the solemn assembly called and organized in it according to the order of the house of God. Meaning it was going to have to be built His way with His design and the way that He wanted this done. The endowment you are so anxious about. You cannot comprehend now. You need an endowment, brethren, in order that you may be prepared and able to overcome all things. And they were like, okay, okay. What are we talking about? No, you're going to have to come find out. You're about to receive a gift of power and strength and blessings from heaven. And the beginning of it is going to be in this building that you're going to have to build. This endowment, you're so anxious, but you can't comprehend now. You need this to be prepared and able to, like we're talking about, to overcome what's coming. This isn't the end thing. Remember, after they dedicate the, the temple in 1836, awesome, wonderful experience. The Kirtland Safety Society, the bank, will fail in 1837. They're going to be driven out of Kirtland in 1837 and 1838. Now they're going to be driven out of Missouri, and we're going to have all those things. And he will. And in 1838, Joseph will now be in in 38, 39. Will be in in Liberty Jail. And then they're going to be dragging back across the Mississippi into Illinois and try and build a city of commerce on the banks of the Mississippi and half the saints are going to be dying of malaria. It's all coming. And then we're going to get a break for about seven years and then we'll kick you out of there and then you're on your way to Salt Lake. You need an endowment to be able to endure what's coming and part of that endowment for those of you who are prepared you get to see the face of the Savior and be filled with that strength all who are prepared and are sufficiently pure to abide the presence of the Savior will see him in the solemn assembly okay so let's do it let's let's get ourselves ready let's prepare the saints Feel like you're ready now? No, neither today. Neither today. Okay, so how are we gonna do this? Why don't you look at uh, 8874, if you would? Okay. Who can re- who can uh, read that? Okay. Okay. Seventy-four. Uh-huh. Seventy-four. Listen. Listen close, because you're about to get several steps about how do we prepare and put ourselves in a position to be standing in front of the Savior. Okay?
1: And I give unto you, who are the first laborers in this last kingdom, a commandment that you assemble yourselves together. Okay, stop.
0: There's the first one. First of all, you need to assemble. Well, I don't need to go to church. I get closer to God when I'm out in the woods or on my boat. <laughs> Why would I need to come in to there that's just full of hypocrites? <laughs> Me and my family, you know, we go to Disney, we're, we're doing family things. Why do we need to assemble? That's where the strength is. That's where the power is where the sacrament is. First of all, you need to assemble. Okay, then what's the next part?
3: And organize yourselves.
0: Oh, now we need to be organized. So not only is it not going to be chaotic, we're going to be organized into quorums, classes, families, all of those kind of things so that we can... And there's a reason for this organization, the assembly. Let's keep going.
1: And prepare yourselves.
0: Oh, then we need to be prepared... So part of the assembly and organizing me. this is how we're going to be prepared. This is how we're going to be how we're going to get ready. So the next part is.
1: And sanctify yourself. Oh, okay.
0: So here's the question that was just being asked. Can we really sanctify
1: ourselves?
0: He's about to explain how the sanctification process happens.
1: Yea, purify your hearts. Okay, and. And cleanse your hands and your feet before me. That? That I make make you clean. How do we sanctify ourselves?
0: He will make us clean. Right? Now, by the way, we've heard this phrase before, haven't we? What What are we repeating here? He that hath clean hands and pure heart. Okay? Now... I'll let Elder Bednar explain it.
3: Consequence of a fundamental change in our desires, our motives, and our natures, made possible through the atonement of Christ the Lord. Our spiritual purpose is to overcome both sin and the desire to sin, both the taint and the tyranny of sin. Prophets throughout the ages have emphasized the dual requirements of one: avoiding and overcoming bad and two, doing good and becoming better. Now listen close. Consider the penetrating questions posed by the psalmist. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Brothers and sisters, it is possible for us to have clean hands, but not have a pure heart. Hear that? Please notice that both clean hands and a pure heart are required to ascend into the hill of the Lord and to stand in His holy place. Let me suggest that hands are made clean through the process of putting off the natural man and by overcoming sin and the evil influences in our lives through the Savior's atonement. Hearts are purified as we receive His strengthening power to do good and become better. All of our worthy desires and good works, as necessary as they are, can never produce clean hands and a pure heart. It is the atonement of Jesus Christ that provides both a cleansing and redeeming power that helps us to overcome sin and the sanctifying and strengthening power. That helps us to become better than we ever could by relying only upon our own strength.
0: <laughs> okay. What did you just hear? How do we do this?
1: We have to do our part by repenting and having the desire. And that to we close. call
0: clean hands. <laughs> But, that, but he says that's not enough. He right. says many of us as Latter-day Saints have clean hands. Then comes the second part which is the pure heart. Pure heart. How does that happen? No. Only the atonement can create a pure heart. That's what he's saying. With clean hands we do our, our share which in, in if, if you look at the entire thing we mess up on a regular basis but we're still doing our best. We're still trying to do it and then we fall and then we Repent, and then we take the sacrament, and then we keep moving. That's clean hands time. But then he says, ultimately, to be able to be purified and sanctified, to stand in that solemn assembly and see the Savior, we also then have to have pure hearts. And that has to be cleansed by fire. And that's only done through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Only he can cleanse our hearts. What is the result of that? How do I know that that has taken place? Oh, what a great question! Mm-hmm. She's she saying, "How do you know that that has occurred?" No
1: How, had the desire to sin. No
0: had Part to of it will be, yeah. In other words, yeah. there won't be a desire to sin. What else? Because some of you are saying, okay, does that mean like I'm waiting for the switch to be flipped? You know, on Sunday, not pure heart. <laughs> then it happened, Monday morning, pure heart, no more sin.
1: You want to improve?
0: It's a it's a process, isn't it? It's a slow cleansing process. Because he talks about the strengthening power of the enabling power of the atonement to help us on a daily basis. So that when
1: those tribulations and trials come, then that's the test of whether you
0: will... Have... Oh, the tribulations tell us kind of where we are, don't they? That, that's, a, that's a great point. If you're not sure, take a look at how you respond to tribulations. It's kind of a signpost. that says, where am I in the road?" Yeah. But given the fact that we continue to make mistakes,
1: yeah. we continue to have. To
0: Yes, yes, but I think what I, but, but rather than look at this as an event, as Latter-day Saints, we want to make things event type of things. I was here and now I'm here. This is a process, and so I think we become more pure and then less pure and then, you know, we keep striving and then he lifts us and then we take a step back. It's, it's a process, Yes. Yeah. That's just what I was going to say. It's kind of like conversion. I don't think it's ever anything that you can just check off. Say, right. Yeah, we get it, we're there. Yeah. We we are so anxious to be checklist Mormons. That's
1: why we have sacrament every That's right. That's why we don't do the
0: sacrament like once in our lifetime. We need it every single week. One of the ways that I know, for instance, that I feel like I'm closer on the purification thing and then I can tell that I'm a bit farther away, one of my samples. Uh, Joseph Smith, if you look at all of the first vision accounts that he gave of that experience. One of them that is not in in our scriptures that he gave at another time describing that experience with, with the first vision is he talked about seeing the Father and the Son and he said, I saw many angels on that experience. And then he said, after he walked out of the grove, he said, for days afterward I was filled with great love for all men. That's why it had to be, there's a painful moment, you have to think, when he's just so filled with love and he goes back to Reverend Lane and he says, it worked, you said, ask God, I asked, he he, he was there, he told me that my sins were remitted. <coughs> it worked, thank you. And, and, and Reverend Lane is saying, it's on the devil boy. You know, in early days people say, well, sometimes distractors distractions of the church will say, well, how come Joseph Smith didn't talk about it very much? <laughs> Duh. There's a reason why it is he's not talking about it. Because here's this, this boy walking out of growth, and being in the presence of the divine love, was filled with that love, filled with that light, went forward out of there, probably just not touching the blades of grass, just floating out from the trees, and then get slammed and ridiculed and mocked for what it is that, by the very people he's loving. But if you think about the times that you're closest to the Spirit, think about the amount of love that you feel towards other people. Isn't that a sign that your heart is purer? That there's a purification process going on? I think that's one of those signs
1: for me. I think it's interesting that you started by talking about how we tend to love those we serve, whether it's our children we're caring for and helping others do things that they maybe can't do for themselves. So it seems like there's a cycle there where, you know, you you serve people and you you love them and you serve them, and then you work for, through this process where you yeah. do your part to be sanctified, but then you come out of that feeling even more love.
0: Because of that one to serve. Yeah, isn't that true? Is that the next step? Simon Peter, lovest thou me? Oh yeah. I am so grateful to have you back. You know, and we and we saw you crucified, and here you are. Oh, I love you. Awesome. Eat my sheep. yeah, that's the next step. Your fishing days are over, Peter. A uh, fish. I will make you fishers of men and now is the time. Go serve. Build with that love, go serve. Okay. All right. Yeah? I was just reading in Psalm 5 and thinking how much this is talking about cleaning
2: ourselves and being purified. And I think that this really
0: Yeah. Right. there were a couple
2: if you are, if you aren't
0: About the fact that sometimes, and, and talking specifically about prayer, I have made the mistakes that I think, he, I think he said, I've made the mistake of thinking that what I feel sometimes I will feel always, and this is certainly true with purifying. I, sometimes we make the mistake because we're feeling so close to the Spirit that we because but we live in a mortal world. That we'll get a chance to feel that close to the spirit consistently the rest of our life, and it would be wonderful. But this life is just not—we're in it. We're in a celestial world. We're, that ain't gonna happen. But we just enjoy them, tarry when they happen, soak it in, and then try and get back to it as soon as we can. Yeah. I I think it's a great measuring tool. Okay. A couple more things to get us ready, and then we'll be done. Now, the next way, how are we going to do this? How do we get ourselves to this point? Well, let's look at verse uh, Verse 77. And I give unto you a commandment that ye shall teach one another the doctrine of the kingdom. Hmm. Now, how many times, though, in your experience, if you're called to teach a class or teach from the pulpit, we call those talks, do you shy away from them or are you scared off by those? And he says, "My jo- what I need you to do is, is teach ye diligently, diligently meaning. hang in there, do your best shot, and then an interesting thing happens. Teach ye diligently and what? Oh, isn't that nice? My grace will be there. Shall attend you that you will be instructed more perfectly in theory and principle in doctrine, in the law of the gospel, in all things that pertain unto the kingdom of God that are expedient expedient for you to understand. Wow! Oh, isn't that great? You ever walk away from class? I, I know I certainly do every week. Who learns more, the teacher or the students? Sure, because you put in the time and energy and focus to, to put it together. That's how it works. So I think it's fascinating that he says, teach, you teach... My grace will be sufficient, and you will be instructed more perfectly. I think that's literal as well. The teacher gets taught, and certainly all of you have had the experience, have you not? Where it's like your mouth opens and you hear wonderful things come out, blah, and you go, "Wow!" And then you forget
1: them.
0: And then you then you forget them. Yeah, because then you got to you're still teaching, you're still talking. It's like wait, 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 wait. Everybody, stop for a second. I need to write down what I just
3: said. Oh my God!
0: If I don't stop now, I will forget what I just, what I just said. Wow, that's good. Okay. I have that
1: experience more often when I'm
0: writing. That you did you feel stuff coming out of the pen. You that I do too. There are a lot of times when I'm sitting and writing or something, I would go, Oh, 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 that's oh, thank you. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Now, look at the next verse, though. Part of this purifying, sanctifying, I need to prepare this people to get ready to be in front of the Savior in about three years. Then he's going to say, okay, what else do they need to be taught? Oh, wait. Of things both in heaven and in earth. Things under the earth. That would be geology Uh things which have been history things which are current events things which must shortly come to pass prophecies revelations things which are at home civics politics things which are abroad. The wars and perplexities of nations. And the judgments which are on the land and the knowledge also of all countries and kingdoms that you may be prepared in all things. If we're trying... To understand and prepare ourselves and be sanctified and purified, to be able to stand in the presence of the Savior? Why in the world are we messing with current events and, and geology?
2: Because our mission is to all the world. We must know all of the taking place.
0: Yeah. And the
2: church must stand in the
0: of all of And and what? Why would it take that knowledge for the church to stand independent. <laughs> <laughs> why would you think? Why, why would we need that? Cecily? We're going to need
1: all that information when they went out to Salt Lake and had to spin their own silk to make dresses and had to build a temple on a foundation and maybe didn't know what it was wrong.
0: It is interesting. Uh, Susan Easton Black talks about the fact that in the early days of the church they would send somebody out on a mission and it was a dual mission you would actually go out to uh, uh, teach the gospel, but you were expected to come back with a trade. You were expected to come back with knowledge that you could then bring back to Zion. So you may go, you may go out to teach the people, come back with Cooper trade so you can actually make barrels. Somebody, I mean, they, we sent people on missions like uh, Minerva Teichard on on missions to learn how to paint. She's going to come back and she's learned French Impressionism. So that they could come back and decorate the temple. And tell the story of the church in paintings. But you were expected to come back with a skill. And then off off to New York and stuff like that to learn that and bring those skills back. Absolutely. Okay? But, uh, But let's come back to the idea... But so that the church can be independent of all nations. Why would we need to know politics and civics and all of that? So that we can be prepared to see the Savior? Doesn't fit. We
1: have to make decisions that will help the Spirit be prepared Yeah? Well, it's all about learning and knowledge and understanding and, and being more like <clears throat> the
0: mother who gets it all. He kind of understands how to do all that stuff. It, remember, when, he, when when the Savior said, all things are spiritual and there's not anything that I've ever given you that's temporal, then you begin to understand that even, can you learn about a Savior in geology? Can you learn about a Savior in history? Can you learn about a Savior in all these different things? How about with civics? How are we supposed to go into other countries and teach them about the gospel if we don't understand their local customs. If we don't understand the things that they struggle with. Even in the understanding of their myths and their stories and their traditions and their culture, you can see the plan of salvation shining through. And all of these things, he says, this is part of the preparing you to see the same. That, that's why I'm always a little bit discouraged sometimes. Uh, and, and sisters, I've heard a little bit more from you. And that is, it's like, well, uh, I don't pay any attention to uh, like world events and history and stuff. My husband does and I just kind of, I'm doing this. You need to be aware. You need to be learned. You need to be taught. Grow and develop. And it's all part of that process of I'm
1: just thinking of like at BYU, enter to learn and go forth to serve. Yeah. we able to serve when we are not.
0: The more knowledge we have, the more we're able to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the world is corrupted.
1: The more we will be able to discern things as they are. Because histories have been rewritten. Uh, there's false doctrine mixed in there, too. Yeah, there is. Imagine it's in preparation for that.
0: Oh, think we're going to need to know ultimately if you're involved in some creation of some other planets. Yes. Maybe some of this knowledge? Yeah.
2: We're also, you know, we're, um, it says in the scripture that all things testify. Right? Yeah. So the more we learn, like you said, we can see the Savior, we can see the gospel and all these things. Something as simple as gardening, just gardening, I think so many of the parables, I mean, so much more than, than they ever did before. You know, before they were nice stories but now I can really see them because I can go out and say I can't tell if that's a, a spinach plant coming up right there or a wheat and they look the same until they're a certain height and so I've got to leave them alone and then I, I remember the wheat and the tares and, oh. and so many of those things come to life when you understand something simple as that. not that great I, and again my institute director was a double PhD from Harvard in Geology and and uh, biology and and, uh, he said he read a section on legal a section eighty-eight. He said it's the greatest scientific document. It talks about DNA right. evolution. All these things he goes through all these things. And I never saw any of that. And, you know, and I still don't know if I do. I have to go reread it and see. But I just remember writing that down.
0: Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. This is so packed. And, and for for our purposes, there's so much of the complexity of this, in, in the short time that we have to look at this, we're kind of picking out highlights. Okay, now, to kind of finish uh, today, there's, a fa- there's always been a fascinating uh, couple of verses in this section that just really always caught my attention. And it's verses 132 and 133. Now. Part of what happened. If we're going to prepare a group of. Uh, particularly priesthood leaders. To have to officiate in the ordinances of the temple. That we have coming up. you have got to somehow get them ready. And So they instituted the school of the prophets. And the school of the prophets. Is we're literally trying to take these unlearned converts. And begin to teach them the higher law of things. This is where. Uh they one of to read part of their coursework, read lectures on faith. Uh, very deep discussion of what faith is and how it works. And it's a principle of motion in all living beings and everything that creates faith. And they, they were just immersing these brethren. And, and Joseph had them be there like all night. And they're just studying all night. And they, and they brought in a Hebrew teacher. And so he's teaching them Hebrew. You know, they're just trying somehow to create educated men and women ready for everything that was about to come. Now, in order to do this, though, it was a fascinating piece here, where he's... uh, And we get a little bit of window into the school, okay? Verse 128. This will be the order of the house of the presidency of the school. Uh, He that is first in the house of of God uh, in a place where the congregation may hear his words, uh, uh, he cometh into the house of God... Uh, for he shall be first in the house. And look at this, verse 130. Behold, this is beautiful. It's almost like the, the Lord stopped for a second. And he's about to set this up and he goes, Oh, this is beautiful. <laughs> like this little exclamation in there. But, wow, and this is really good. Yeah, it is. This is beautiful. 131. Let him... Offer himself in prayer upon his knees before God in token of remembrance of the everlasting covenant. Now, it's the first one. Now look at 132. This is before a meeting starts, or particularly when you're going to bring a new member of the school of the prophets in. And when any shall come in after him, let the teacher arise, and with uplifted hands to heaven... Yea, even directly, salute his brother or brethren with these words. And here are the words that they would use in the school of the prophets. Okay, look at this. Art thou a brother or brethren? I salute you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in token or remembrance of the everlasting covenant, in which covenant I receive you to fellowship in a determination that is fixed, immovable, and unchangeable to be your friend and brother through the grace of God and the bonds of love to walk in all the commandments of God blameless in thanksgiving forever and ever. Amen. Whew. Whew. It's too bad that we don't do that these days, right? We do. We did it in our Lord yesterday. You read the new records into the war. And what did we say, all of those you can welcome into the war is so looking up What did we just say in this? Yes, you just think this is a simple, we're going to, we'll support it, okay. We're going to recognize that they're here. No. Here's what you're actually doing. Our sacrament meetings are our, our school of the prophets now. As our Relief Society meetings of instruction and our priesthood course. Can you imagine if somebody moved into your ward and you said to them, Art thou a brother or sister? <laughs> I salute you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a token of remembrance of the everlasting covenant. Uh, with a determination that's fixed and movable and unchangeable to be your friend and your brother or sister through the grace of God and the bond, bonds of love to walk in all commandments of God blameless and thanksgiving forever and ever Amen does that make a difference? but we do it and we do it so casually I'm sitting next to my grandson you know All favor, say aye. Aye. He's laughing. We're teaching them. This is what we're doing. If we just understood the full import of what a ward or a quorum or a Relief Society class is supposed to be, this is it. But the determination that's fixed, immovable, and unchangeable to be your friend and brother or sister. You're part of our ward. I'm responsible for you. You're responsible for me. You it'd be real scary if we didn't take that so complacently. Yeah, we do. It could be so exciting anymore. Yeah. We
1: look at somebody
0: and we think, well, we're going to have our hands full of them. I know.
1: Critical.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah, they're not quite as socially smooth. They look like they're struggling a little bit more. Oh my gosh! They've got five kids under the age of one and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Sacramentary's gonna be on its head. Oh my god! Okay, we do that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think on the other <clears throat> hand, that, that even though we are casual sometimes, I have we all thought the week of, of finding a fellow
1: member of the church when you're out somewhere.
2: Yes.
0: So that yes. Like the
1: just two of us and we were in different departments. We didn't see each other up there all the time. But I found out that he was watching out for me, you know? And I was
0: rather watching out for him. We do that. <laughs> and that there's a connection there. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, w- whatever our politics may be, the idea that there's a Mormon possibly being elected next week, or even the fact that he's even in that position, is still kind of waiting, that that's kind of cool.
1: I had that experience with a woman that...
0: And and we don't have an idea just how important it is when we're meeting other Latter-day Saints that there is a bond that is fixed and immovable to other members of the church. We need to recognize that. Yeah. I think back to a minute, uh,
1: for a minute, to welcoming members and stuff like that. A few weeks ago when we had our primary program and my children had invited several of our neighbor friends. yeah. Yeah. And we were all sitting Yeah, there was we order.
0: We to sustain,
1: and, you know, I like the words of this, the um, determination that's fixed and immovable and changeable. I think if we remembered that when we were sustaining that this is the type of offering that we're giving to yes. us that we have chosen to lead us, um, it would make a difference in how we associate later <coughs> on.
0: I, I think it would. And, and let me just finish with this. I, I want to finish with kind of the experience again that I had on, on Saturday morning with this with this uh, good brother that just kind of wandered in, just riding his bicycle in the park in Austin, and he comes upon this group, and he and he sat down on the grass and listened for an hour to what it is that we were saying. And then he saw this this group of saints get up and don their, their Mormon helping hands things to go do something environmentally friendly to to help build up the park. And the expression on his face was, this is unbelievable. This is great stuff. It's kind of like, I had no idea This this is what you guys are. I don't think we realize just exactly what we have. But what we have is an organization that is prepared to help us be purified so that we can stand in the presence of God. And someday we'll will really appreciate it for what it is, maybe more than we do now. Uh, I bear you my testimony that we're fortunate to be members of the church and fortunate to be part of this great organization. And I'm grateful to be a brother with you in that, in that process. And I leave this with you, in Jesus. Name. Amen. Amen.
1: We thank you for our prophets leading by in these lives days that we may be able to always listen to.
0: Have a happy Halloween. See you next week.